Yes, uh, make it a little joke for those of you who either don't know because you um, or you don't you didn't catch it. Um, I was on a sabbatical and it, it's been over two months since I got a chance to get in the pulpit and just share. See what I'm saying? Where's um? Now I gotta hold this mic. We getting lapel mics, by the way. <laughs> I can click it. Edit that out. Over two months, and so I was excited because I was part of the meeting where we said, let's do First Peter, because the message is appropriate for where we are today. And so I was, it was crazy how my sabbatical sort of came so suddenly, I didn't realize, hey, I'm not gonna be able to get in First Peter. And I didn't know if Pastor E was gonna get on the, you know, the quick trail, and by the time I came back, it would be finished, or if he'd get on the slow trail. Fortunately, he was on the rotisserie trail, and so, <laughs> Now, I got, you know, I get to get up in here and we get to uh, stay in First Peter for a minute. So uh, let me just read um, today's passage and then let me backtrack and dive in. But you, oh, chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 12, even though I am going to reference a couple verses that precede that to walk my way. But for right now. Two, First Peter, two, nine through twelve. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light once you were not a people but now you are God's people once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy beloved I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Today we are going to continue to trot along in the book of 1 Peter. And we're going to talk about the big deal with being a believer. The big deal about being a believer. The big deal about being a believer. I think it's possible for our age to undervalue what it means to believe to be what the Bible calls a believer. It's possible. Right now, every parent, especially Christian parents, let's just take me for instance, has to contend with that day that's going to come when the children we're known to protect and the children that we're veiling from all the bad, nasty programs and all the naughty things that go on in this world of ours, one day we won't be able to hold them back anymore. They will have to plunge straight dab in the middle, in the nucleus of what the Bible would call unholiness. One day, all of our prevention methods will cease to have a grip. Perhaps it'll be because we have to send them to a public school. 
Perhaps it will be because we have to let them go to some public event. Perhaps it will be because we have to finally let them have friends and be missional and therefore have unbelieving friends and go to their birthday parties or go to their slumber parties. One day our kids are going to have to go smack dab into unholiness. And the question on the floor is when they go, will they be able to stand and represent all the things that the Bible calls being a believer? At that point, they will often run into the humiliation that comes or the the laughter or the jokes that may come with them being believers. Well, what I have to do is I'm reminded of when I was growing up, everybody who went to public school, I went to public school, everybody who went to public school came to that day where they had to face your mama jokes. And we're Christians, so we we weren't braced for your mama jokes. We go back and, dad, you don't understand, the day they said my mom was so big that when she threw on the red dress, the kids said, hey, Kool-Aid. They're like, boo. <laughs> Back in those days, that was fighting words. <laughs> Your mom said, hold down. She thought a quarterback was a refund. Anybody ever get offended by that? No? Y'all are above that. Your mom's so big, she sat on a rainbow, and it turned into Skittles. <laughs> uh, all the mothers are like, My mom would say to me, but you know it's not true, right? Yeah, but they said it and everybody laughed. But you know it's not true, right? You know who I am. Don't worry about what they say. You know, the book of Peter is replete with trying to tell believers You know who you are, so don't worry about what they say. That's what this this book was written to an audience that was forced to go to public, forced to go to secular, forced to go to the badlands. See, this is not like us where we strategically position our lives to stay away from the thicket of evil. This was a group that it was already a given where you go is unholy. So let me make sure that you stick your chest out, not in an arrogant way, but in a proud sense of I know who I am as the holy people of God. So I don't have to worry about what they say. The big deal about being a believer. The reason why I want to start there is because as we've been trekking along, Paul gets, excuse me, Peter gets to this point where he has to talk about being a believer, being a big deal to God. So in verse 6, he says something interesting of chapter 2. He says, it stands in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Then he says this. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are. I'm going to stop. First of all, the big deal about being a believer starts with just the principle of what it means to be a believer. 
There's all kinds of ways to refer to Christians. And in here, you don't feel awkward about that. But when you go out, it's sort of awkward trying to present yourself as identified with the God of Scripture. So, you, you know, you want to say, uh, yo, what's up, yo? Um, you born again? And you on the Ave and dudes are like, am I born again? What? Um, yeah, wait, um, you a saint? A saint? No, I ain't no saint. I sin every day. Dang, hold on, wait, wait, wait. Uh, this is my fault, my fault. I'm looking for the right way to present myself because no matter what I say, it's going to make you look at me funny. You don't talk like that out here. You know, the Bible says you really can strip it all the way down to something as fundamental as are you a believer? Now, everybody would jump at that. Oh, yeah, I'm a believer. Well, what do you believe in? I believe in a lot of stuff. I believe in me. And most people jump to that one. I believe in myself. What are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? I believe in this gat right here. You know what I'm saying? I believe in it. Like, the, the, I'm, I'm talking about the thugs, but maybe, oh, yeah, we do have a sophisticated crowd. Uh, some people say, I believe in science. And some people would believe in the evolutionary process where you are. Some people would believe in but either way, everybody would like to believe that they're a believer because everybody believes something. But in the Bible, the Bible says that God made this issue of believing something that splits crowds, not down the middle, but splits crowds. He says, what I did is I dropped something in the middle of people's pathway and their belief or disbelief will divide them. Something right now, this room is divided. There are the majority of us when the what the Bible calls a stone, a, a choice and precious stone. And the imagery is, as Pastor E was saying last week, if you were on a construction site back in the days, you'd have to have a stone, a stone on which to align other stones up with. You better get it right in order to have a solid, dependable structure. Well, the stone, this is the stone. The Bible says that all of the stone has been placed in our pathway and the way we respond will determine whether or not we're in what the Bible would group as the believers and what the Bible would group as the unbelievers. The reason why this is a big deal is because your belief on one issue in particular is enough to categorize you by some definitive uh, article. You're not just believing. You are a believer or you're an unbeliever. Now you've you got a label on you, an offensive label from some people. What do you mean I'm not a believer? I'm the unbeliever. Just because I don't believe like you? In God's eyes, the honor is for the believer who believes that Jesus Christ is God's selection and God's solution. This is one place where one, one answer on the test is enough to flunk you. I used to love tests when I didn't, when I didn't prepare. I used to love tests. There was like a hundred, like a hundred questions because I felt like I had a lot of room to be wrong. I used to hate, you know what I'm saying, like, yo, it's only two questions up here. So if you get one wrong, basically you failed. Well, this is one question, the Bible says. This is one choice that when you're wrong on this, you're wrong on everything. God says, the believer is a big deal to me. But not on just stuff, on the stone. So God says, I am laying a stone in Zion. And whoever believes in him, they're the people who won't be ashamed. 
honor for the believer. But for those who do not believe, the very thing they're rejecting is the thing that's going to trip them up or cause them to be offended, which is why most people will get mad at you. When Jesus comes up, we don't just disagree. We get hostile with one another. But God says, I did this. I've placed this in the stream of humanity that when the issue of Jesus comes up, it's not just no thanks. It's in the nerve of you. Even the what I believe is the secular poet Kanye West said, you see, I could rap about anything except for Jesus. Even he had it right. Just so happens that the way he was rapping about Jesus, the world willingly accepted. Like, well, the, well, the angle you're presenting him as. Well, then, OK, we'll accept him. And will accept you. He didn't present him as the choice stone that you must surrender to. He presented him as a tag along to your life. So God says this is a big deal. This believing thing. Some of you in here. Believing in Jesus is harder than believing in God. You don't know that they're the same. But you know that God is still acceptable when you go out there in the unholy world. Jesus is not. The believer is the one who doesn't have a problem confessing Jesus as Lord. And, in he, and what, what, as you go into a world that will joke you, that will marginalize you, that will put, kick you to the curb, God says, I got to make you understand that being a believer, as I define it, someone who understands the preciousness and the uniqueness and the worth and the weight of Jesus Christ, I got to make you feel so good about that, that when you go out there, you won't compromise your faith or shrink back. Or be upset with the heat that you take for being associated with Jesus the Christ. This book, First Peter, was written to people who, you know, you always hear about the trials of First Peter. And you start thinking about being burned at the stake. And you start thinking about the worst thing that could have happened to Christians. But most people would agree that the context of First Peter really has a, a, a more subtle and a more discreet type of persecution and trials. It is this idea of I'm no longer in the in crowd because of Jesus. There was some religious tolerance that was allowed under the Roman rule at this time. And so the idea was before the Christians got too powerful, uh, the idea is that people were saying, yo, they don't want to kill me. They just don't want me to be a part of their clique. They don't want to kill me. They just laugh at me. Family reunions have become awkward now. I'm being alienated from my relationships. All the honor is being given to people who don't have Jesus as their primary passion. He says, let me gather you up and write you a letter and say, honor is to you who believe this way. Now let me make a big deal about you so you'll understand that when you go out to these secular environments... You have to rely on who you are, not what they say. So let's continue. The principle of being believer seen in the fact that God is the one who divides. God is the one who takes this thing seriously. God is the one who places, places a heavy price on disbelieving this Jesus. I like the way going into our passage, verse 8 says they stumble. They, 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 
trip up over Jesus. Uh, they're offended by Jesus. And it says they so they don't obey the word that says submit and surrender and worship Jesus. And then it says here, this is as they were destined to do. Very, very controversial understanding of the way God has chosen to divide his people from the rest of everybody else. Uh, Shah talked last week about God being sovereign, God being able to determine how a person must be saved and who, in fact, will be saved by coming the way that he decided that they ought to come. That God is the one who destines people ultimately to salvation and destines who ultimately will not receive salvation. And one of the places where we get it from is this right here. That there are those who stumble. God says, and God has already rigged the scenario, which is why God says one of the big deals about being a believer is God has caused all things to work together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. This is the thing that ought to rock you when they're teasing you or to rock you when they're skipping over you and when or to rock you when they marginalize you. That God doesn't skip over me. There are those he skipped over. There are those that God said. Now, you only need that encouragement when others are skipping over you. You need to know that God has it. Because I used to think that God felt about me like certain people felt about me. So I go into church and they looked at my clothes and my hair and said, no. I said, God, dang, how come you don't like my clothes and my hair? And I wrote a song about it. <laughs> well, if you look at this and you know that believers are feeling rejected by their culture. Now, it's, this would be simple if you could form a little side culture like we can do today. Well, forget you. I got my own school. I go to PBU. All right. I go out to Eastern. LBC. But for those of you that's going to Temple... He wants to confront you with, are you a believer? Are you recognized as a believer? Because there's a way to still dodge what the first Peter audience was getting. And that is to so hide and cloak your believerness that you don't experience the stuff that makes you proud to be a believer and need to be reinforced in the grace that has come your way to make you a believer. Well, he contrasts people who are part of the outcasting, the outcasters, the you don't get any honor in our club. You don't get the promotion. You're the strange person, all that Jesus stuff. It was documented that the Christians were viewed as basically following a superstition. Oh, these guys, oh, you know them. They get together and they eat people's flesh. They talk about eating flesh and, oh, my gosh. I, I went to one of their things. You got to see them, hands raised. Their oh, eyes are closed. You, you never understand what they're saying. The believers are like, I can't go out there. They think I'm strange. 
Peter says, let me talk to you about the honor that's yours. I remember the day when I finally got proud of being a believer. Up until then, I just was glad I wasn't going to hell. But there was no inherent pride in being a believer. And I didn't sense the hostility toward being a believer. It wasn't until I got involved in hip-hop, actually, that religion was so popular and street-level that you ran into it on a day other than Sunday. That was the first time religion met me on Monday through Saturday outside of my father taking me somewhere to minister. I ran away from him, went with a secular mom. God never came up. All of a sudden, hip-hop began to talk God whoever he may be. I began to think back to the God who lays Jesus right in the middle of everybody's path and says, is he the choice stone that you embrace and build everything on, your life, your trust, your, or is he the one that you sort of try to bypass only to trip up and hurt your shins? I said, wait a minute, you're talking God, but you're not talking Jesus. All of a sudden, they said, oh, we talking Jesus. Some of them said, he's just, yo, he's one of the prophets. But somebody came after him that was just as dope, Muhammad. Other people said, my son, I appreciate what you're doing. I'm like, I'm a Christian too, but he's the first one that Jehovah made. I said, but that's, I, the Bible says that he is God's selection and solution to sin, and in order to be that, he's got to be God. All of a sudden, me and my rap group started having problems. And all of a sudden, all the girls started looking at me a little differently. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, things started, the wheels started falling off. He says, let me show you what the big deal is about being a believer. First of all, unbelievers are stumbling unbelievers are not enjoying what I'm about to lay out for you. So we're going to dive into first looking at the privileges of being a believer. The privileges of being a believer. In contrast to this group that stumbles, he says, now, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a chosen race. First of all, but you, you is plural. God comp wants to let everyone in here know that the big deal about the individual believer is the fact that you're a part of this big group called the believers. Most of us are more excited about our personal faith than our corporate faith or our personal, uh, 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 our personal identity than we are our corporate identity. But the big deal in this book and the big deal in God's family is his corporate people. And now individual pieces within that find their worth in the fact that they are part of something that God has smiled on corporately. He says you're a chosen race. Genos is the word for race. It means bloodline or stock. You're, you're from a choice stock. And God has made, like, the reason why you're something else is because of who you've been allowed to be a participant of. So those of us that are different in our race 
ethnically we're of the same stock or the same blood spiritually and God is looking and right now I see a whole bunch of people who look different in their race God says that's alright because that's going to be the uniqueness about this new race that I'm going to make this chosen race I'm going to take it I'm going to snatch them and all their external differences won't have anything to do with the, the stock that they're going to be made from the genos this speaks of our oneness in spite of our differences it's based on who your dad is. Now, some of you might know about my dog, Solomon. And some of you don't, so you listen up so that you can laugh next time I make mention of Solomon, too. I have a dog named Solomon. You understand, I always wanted a dog since I was a little guy. I never could have one. I almost didn't get one. My wife was gracious in allowing me to have a dog. When I finally got a dog, the first thing I had to do was I had to choose a breed. I had to find some breed that I liked. I started doing some research because a friend of mine had a small dog who didn't look soft. Now, I knew I needed a small dog because I have a small crib, but I didn't want a soft, small dog. Because I'm not a soft, small dude, you know, I'm, I'm more on a, come on, I need something that looks ferocious, but I don't need him to be ferocious, I need him to look ferocious. <laughs> so I began to invest, and my man had a Boston Terrier, a little dude just running around, he was all nice, he ate my headphones, I was like, ah, oh, man, but I like him. He was running all around the crib, I was like, see, that's what I'm saying, I need something like that, a Boston Terrier. I started looking up and how, yo, Boston Terriers were bred. I mean, they're natural. Somebody came up with a way to make their nose smashed in. And so part of the repercussions is they have asthma and bad nasal passages and things of that nature. But I was falling in love with the breed of the Boston Terrier. And I started looking at them. And they said, now, when you go to get your dog, check the dad out. If because the dad will determine... You, like you having a better chance that everybody that comes from the dad will be strong. If you have a strong dad or a lame dad, you're going to have a lame dog probably. If you have a strong dad, you have a strong... So I was starting to say, oh man, so I went and I started looking for a breed, fell in love with that breed, got to the place where I was going to get Solomon, and I fell in love with a crossbreed, a Boston Terrier who was all over the place. They said, now look, when they're young, if you see them, they're barking all over the place, they're going to be probably rowdy. You want to get somebody that's a little calm because then they'll grow into their personality. So I went in there. His Boston Terrier was rocking me. He was like, and he was just stepping on his brother. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And they said, yo, and look at his dad. His dad is this over here. And he was over there chilling like, well, you know how I do. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'm sitting over here like, oh, I want him. And all of a sudden, they showed me a crossbreed with the French Bulldog. Now, the Boston Terriers, got a, they can look kind of a little, you know, frail, a little thin. So I went over, and I, I saw this other breed that was mixed with a French Bulldog. I, I know I'm going the long route, but stay with me. So I went over there to him. So there's a whole bunch of them over there. I was like, oh, man, look at the breed. They said, look at the dad. And I was look at the dad. I was like, oh, man. All of a sudden, I, my eyes laid hold of Solomon. <laughs> Solomon and all of his brindleness. That's the colors. I reached out and picked out Solomon from the bunch. Because I was already in, down with the breed and had already investigated his father. 
And I anticipated that if this is how his father is, they tell me this is what I can expect from his lineage, his line, his stock. And everybody who knows Solomon, bigs up Solomon, because he has not proven to disappoint. And the Bible basically says the believer is from the line of God. That God the Father has come up with his own breed, which is why the Bible says to those who believe on him, who believe on his name, he gave them the right to be from the lineage of God, children of God, not born by human will, but by God. God has his own breed. Breeds are made because people don't want, they do, they do not want it to be like something that already exists. They, that, that's why they come up with them, for unique purposes. Do you know that God has designed the group called the believers because he doesn't want us to be like those that already existed, the unbelievers. He has specific purposes for you and for I, so he had to come up with a whole other category. And God says you individually can celebrate because you're of that stock. No matter what they say, you're still of good stock. There's some dogs, you look at them, and they're like the ones I don't want. Soft, they may look ugly, they may be whatever. I may say that, but they'll cost, I mean, three times as much as Solomon. They'll say, yeah, regardless of what you say about their look, it's their pedigree. Peter says, regardless of what they say about you, regardless of what they feel about you, individually, you know that you've been privileged by God. I want you to know there's a big deal about you. You're from the right stock. You're from the genos of God. You're chosen. You were choice to God. He came in and he can look at all the, the picks and he chose you. He says, your chosen race. You say, I like it, I like it. Tell me more, tell me more. He says, you're a royal priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. Once again, this focuses us on our corporate emphasis. We're believers of the king. Now, this idea here is tricky because it's caused some disputes over the ages. We, I don't know if you've heard the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers is basically the Christian teaching that really got popularized, somewhat distorted, as of the Reformation period where Martin Luther was trying to stress that the clergy don't have a monopoly on God. And so in order to do that, he looked and he said, wait a minute, we all individually make up something broader called the priesthood of believers or royal priests. The only problem is this text is really not emphasizing your individual priesthoodness. And sometimes when we're trying to counter a belief, we go the other way or somebody mistakes us and they go the other way too far. Well, individually, you have, it has application to you, but corporately we are his priests. In other words, God likes it when the church does priestly functions. We'll unpack that in a second. Does priestly functions, not when a person says, I don't need anybody in the church because I'm a priest myself. He says, yo, but believers get excited. You're part of that group. LeBron James is not the Cavaliers. 
He's on the Cavaliers, but he's not the Cavaliers. If just LeBron shows up on the court, the game can't start. If just you show up, it's not, oh, it's on. Some people try to get all super spiritual. Well, two or three are gathered. He's there in the midst. That's not what that verse means anyway. He says, I, I need people, and it's hard for us because we're individual, we're private Christians. We have our own version of the Bible. They didn't. They had to rally up and be like, oh, the Bible is on. Come on, y'all. They had to be together. They wanted to be together. It was hard not to be together. Their unchristian, their unsaved, their unbelieving friends began to be less friendly. Us, our unbelieving friends, are more like us than our believing friends, so we like our unbelieving friends more than we like our believing friends. God says, but they're not of the right stock. That's not, that's the stock. I, I, now, it doesn't mean that just because they're unbelievers now that they're not destined to be part of the right stock. It just means that right now you're delighting in something that God doesn't delight in. God says, no, I, wanna, I want you to feel like believingness. Believing communities are a stock that God says is choice to me. Their choice. I bestowed on them the privilege of being royal in that they're mine. I'm a king. Priests in that they have unique access to me and they provide a unique service for me. Because we do not do priest work like the old priest used to do because Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest. High priests do offering business. Jesus Christ has offered himself once for all for us so we don't need a priest anymore to just keep offering redundant sacrifices. So first of all, what do you mean I'm a priest then? What do you mean we're priests? That means you all have unique access to me. Remember, the context is you're on the outs, huh, with your crew. Ever since you started naming me, nobody's, uh, they're looking over you, huh? They're stepping over you, huh? They're humiliating you, huh? Shame at the cookouts, huh? That's all right. You're mine. Every now and then, one of the kids will fall into, you know what I'm saying, out of favor with the cluster. They'll run and tell the parent, mommy or daddy, or use his mommy, let me be honest, mommy, they're being mean to me. And every now and then, the mommy will say, they're being mean to you, and pick them up, take them to the side, and give them this unique attention that makes them forget about the fact that the crowd has not embraced them. God says, I want you to know, I'm not just this blanket God throwing hugs and kisses around. I have a unique family that I embrace in a unique way. And especially that works when they get rejected for me out there. When they bring my name up and it doesn't send people through the roof, they come to me and I embrace them in a way that makes them forget that they don't want me, but God does. Now, if they don't want you and God doesn't want you or you're not convinced that God wants you, then you got a problem. He says, you're a royal priest. You have unique access to me. Right now, we were thinking about going to the inauguration for the historicalness of it. So we were like, uh, Pastor E was like, yo, you know, we got a crib nearby. He says, but you can hang up trying to get into D.C. Unless you come up, you know, we have to take unique transportation. He says, it's going to be murder trying and you're not going to get close. This is a president elect. I can't get close to the president elect. But I can get close to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. God says, that's a big deal now. It may not be a big deal to people who think that's just, oh, that he's just being eloquent. No. This is real. This is real for the person. 
who needs to feel the embrace of someone who makes them not feel like maybe I shouldn't be a Christian. Asaph said, in vain have I washed my hands in purity. Like, I'm, I'm being nice for nothing. God says, you're not. I do embrace you in a way that I don't embrace everybody. You're a royal priesthood. What do priests do? They make offerings. They make offerings. Romans 15, Paul says, listen, I've been involved in the priestly work of the gospel. I offer God to a people, and I'm able to offer a people to God. That's a privilege. Back in my heyday when I was with my rap group, people liked to be our street team. Yo, just give me something to hand out. I'd be like, well, here, hand these out. Thanks. They just felt so good. We blogging like, yo, man, I'm part of the street team. You know what I mean? Yeah, CM. Yo, I hand out the free CDs. And I mean, like, that would be like, like he's all excited because he gets to hand out their CDs. Never met us. Doesn't, he doesn't talk with us. She doesn't have meetings with us. She's not around my, not my dinner table, but excited. Just for the privilege of being able to, well, she valued us and he valued us in some way. God says, people who really learn to value God, love it when God says, you can be my priest. You can, you can, you can take care of sacred matters for me. I'll lace, you, I'll lace you with power. I'll lace you with content. I'll lace you with my character. I'll lace you with my heart. I'll lace you with my mind. And I will give you the privilege of going in and out of my presence, into the world, back into my presence, into the world, back into my presence, in and out of where I am on my behalf. You say, now only people who are okay where they are look like that ain't nothing. But you know what it's like to wish you were in someone's dressing room or green room. You know what it's like to want to be in the VIP section of somebody you deem as something. So this only works for believers who, like he says in 1.8, never, never seen them, but you love them. This doesn't do anything for the person who's not a believer because a believer is one who sees him as so precious and so choice that they've built everything around him, built everything on him. Now, for people who just, I like God up there and I like, I like to be down here. And when I die, then we can talk about all this in and out of present stuff. But for the person who knows that God offers himself now. And for the person who knows that Jesus Christ is altogether lovely, altogether wonderful to me, the Bible says, well, when you feel the wind of the world in your face, just turn around and realize you can always come and be my priest. Be part of the group that has access to me, unlike Pastor Deuce and Pastor E, if they try to go see President-elect. Tell me some, yo, man, this screen is banging. Then there are going to be some people that's like, here you go, sir. Here's your water. You're like, oh, thanks. Yeah, after this, we're going out, all right? So stick around. Like, oh, we're going out after this with president-elect. The king of kings is like, don't worry. We're going out. You can commune with me. Everything is, look, it's spiritual now, but the Bible makes clear that this is going to materialize one day. I know, like, ah, oh, man, I don't like it until it's material. That's why time that God said, blessed are those who believe and not see. See, we need more. God said, oh, but there's a way to experience this richly in your life even now. So he says, you are 
a chosen stock. You're from a chosen stock individually, but he's talking to them as a group. You, this group here is a choice stock. This group here is the priest of the king of kings. You have unique access to me, and you provide unique service to me. You're more than my street team that never gets to meet with me. You're more than the people that get to see me on the jumbotron. You get to come in like the priest used to come in. The priest would leave people behind and be like, oh, well, excuse me, yeah. <sighs> oh, that's what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? You're forgiven. You get to get close. This talks about our access to God. Royal priests, priests of royalty, priests of a king. The big deal about being believers, and you got to understand this is in contrast to those who don't believe because your unbelieving friends or people in here that don't believe think this is talking to you, and it's not. This is not talking to unbelievers. This is not talking to you who don't believe. This is talking about people who have placed all of their trust in Jesus Christ and seen him as precious, which is why this would rock you. You say, I don't get it. I don't, I don't experience any of that. Well, that's because the next thing he says is, you're a holy nation. You're a holy nation. In other words, you're set apart. Now, I know Pastor E already talked about this. I was peeping the messages online. You don't feel this until you try to live this. You don't appreciate God's remedy to what you'd feel if you'd live it out. Until you live it out. A holy nation. Who doesn't want to be more than just a couple people who think alike? God says, don't worry. You're not. You're a nation. You're a people. This has its roots back to when God brought Israel to the mountain in Exodus 19 at Sinai. Oh, that's why the Bible says you got to read and you got to realize that what was true about Israel is now true about the church. He says, he looks, he says, now, if you want a picture of what it's like for me to rustle up a people that I've delivered. It's also a go back to Isaiah 43 where God talks to his people in exile. And God says, yo, both the people that I've rustled up for me and the people that I sustain in the midst of exile, I gather them together. They're my people and I look at them. So that, that's also a picture of why things don't always look like we're the winning team right now. Because in both cases, they're not in Egypt where they wanted to go in Exodus 19. Like, man, remember we had melons? Remember when we used to, you know what I'm saying? Like, they were thinking back to when circumstances felt better. But God has them in the wilderness at a mountain looking at him thunder so hard. They're like, all right, go ahead, Moses, you talk to us. This explains why all this could be true and you could be poorer than your unbelieving friends. Or you could have ailments that your unbelieving friends don't have. That's always been the context that God talks about his faithfulness to his people. When his people don't have the upper hand. God, looking at you in the wilderness, all right, I'm going to make you all a nation. I'm going to give you all my laws. I'm going to give you all your ways. This is my part. I'm going to keep my part. You keep your part. Well, now Peter quotes from Exodus 19, and he says that to the ostracized people, the people who feel marginalized, the people who feel picked on, the people who feel like things don't look as good for us as they do for people who don't know Jesus. He says, that's all right. You're my holy nation. Which means you're big, you're growing, you're organized. I govern you and I set you apart. I set you apart. Says, man, you don't understand. When I set something apart, it's because I want to 
Everybody does this. When you get married, you do this. You'll be like, yo, hold on. And you put special foods aside. I mean, like the foods you really care about. You'll be like, some stuff is just for everybody. Then you put it, you'll put this away, yo. Now, nah, I'm going to tear this up later. And you go back to boogieing. Gosh, I want you to understand, like, I don't just do this for everybody. I call people out. I want you to know the big deal about being a believer is you're part of the people I set aside and I make you a nation. To make them a nation, God had to help them with their lack of fighting skills. To make them a nation, he had to give them governors and governments. To make them a nation, he laced them with resources, even when they had to plunder the Egyptians to get it. In other words, whatever it takes to make you a nation, once God makes you, says you're holy, you're mine, he's going to do. What do you need in order to be his nation? Not what do you need to be happy. What do you need to be his nation? And the Bible makes clear that we're most happy or we're most satisfied in him. When we recognize, yo, this is what I'm called to be, this is who he's made me to be, and if we surrender, then we'd actually have the joy that oftentimes we leave him out in order to seek. In other words, right now, I know people in here that don't have the upper hand, and it's all because of Jesus. This is why most artists, this is why most people in mainstream America who want to rise higher eventually give up on the things that give them away as believers. How many people? Now, it's one thing for you to purposely calculate. I'm not going to go with a big Jesus pen and flag and Jesus in every line. You, you're perfectly, we're going to see how. That, 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 that may be a strategy, and it's not a bad one. It's not necessarily a bad one, necessarily. It's another thing when you go in with Jesus as your banner because you feel convinced this is the role that God wants me to play in his economy. We're going to look at how that comes up right next. And then when you feel the heat or the fact that they keep you down because of that Jesus or they don't give you the accolades because of that Jesus or the money is less because of that Jesus, then you throw Jesus overboard, then you need a dose of first Peter. He says, you're a holy nation. You feel the set apartness. That's why you're in the wilderness. You're a holy nation. He said that also in Babylon. When they're in exile under the pagan rule. You're like, I'm tired of the secular doing better than the believers. He says, that's how it always is, and I still speak that you're mine. He says, not only that, you're a people for his own possession, which speaks about the specialness to God. One of our favorite verses is Titus 2, and, and we, we, the 14th verse is that God gave himself, died in order to have his own people. Like, the Lord Jesus said, yo, I haven't lost any that you've given me. They're mine. God wants you to feel a specialness that doesn't apply to everybody else. I know you're trying to be pluralistic. You're trying to be open-minded and you don't want to be arrogant. Like Pastor E was saying, you want to be gracious. But you must be fueled by this idea that the believers are a different breed set aside by God and uniquely privileged for a purpose, but uniquely privileged in lace. And one of them is he views you as his. My daughter, Trin, has this doll that's different than all the other dolls. Marisol, a nice one. She just sent her to the hospital to fix her head. Literally, there's a hospital you send these dolls to to fix their head because something happened to the hair. And all the other dolls like Toy Story are like, dang, something happened to my head too. 
You ain't sent me to no hospital. You gave me to eat, and eating is rougher than me than you are. And he's like, what? <laughs> what? What? Marisol goes to a hospital. Marisol gets her hair brushed. Changes of clothes and special things. Trying to paint the picture. You must believe this, that there is a specialness. He said it. A people for my own possession. In Exodus 19, when this comes from 5, he says, the whole earth is mine, but you are special to me. We're talking about God. Everything is mine, but everything I don't view as my own special possession. What I'm, look, this is why we get in trouble. Because we sound like we think we're something. We don't. But when you're the laughing stock because of Jesus, and when nobody is looking your way or checking for you because of Jesus... Now, if you're just rude and obnoxious or, you know, you just run your mouth and nobody's checking for you, you can't use this. Amen. But if you're walking in, I just like people just know and it, it does happen. It doesn't happen as much here as it does in other countries. But we're becoming more and more a country that looks funny at the believers. He says here the big deal about being a believer is <laughs> you're special to God. Like that's crazy for God to view us as special. It's for a purpose, though, that he does all this. It's not so you can walk around and say, ah, we special, we special. He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, extreme makeover, I was bugging off extreme. I said, how do they pull this off? I mean, what's the purpose? Like, nobody's just this nice. Plus, you could do a lot more with a lot less for a lot more people. I'd be like, man, you gave somebody a crib that, like, first of all, the block can't compete. <laughs> so, I mean, you're not going to really get the money worth if ever you got to, because it's like, shh. And then second of all, I'm like, this is too much. This is too much. I mean, like, this, the, and then it just dawned on me that basically they kill it like they do. They overdo it because it's all about advertisement. It's so you could be like, dang, I can't afford that house, but where did you get the carpet from? And you begin to proclaim the excellencies of the carpet. Which is why they do it so big, so that you'll just start running your mouth. Oh, and our windows. Oh, my gosh, you got to see these windows. They keep all of the heat out. And, I mean, you just start talking about the windows. You start talking about the... Now, this stove here, yeah, well, I know it has our pictures on the inside of them. That was just something they threw in for effects. But this stuff, and I mean, you start going around, and you begin to proclaim excellencies. That's why they do it so big. They could just give you a house. Like, oh, man, I heard a home needs a house. I mean, this family needs a house. We give them a house. Nice little chill house. But that wouldn't cause you to talk. God says, the reason why I made you a royal priesthood and the reason why I picked you and the reason why I gave you unique stock and the reason why I lavished on you an opportunity to go in and out of my presence is my peace and the reason why I made you my own special person and send you to the hospital when your hair's messed up, the reason why I do all of that is so you'll run your mouth about me. God's always got a plan. And the best evangelists are people who are fueled with the sense of, he's done so much for me. Like, he didn't just tweak my behavior, he rebirthed me. And he lavishes me with stuff that I can't even feel the full effect of what he's lavished me with right now. One, because I'm popular, so I don't feel the social outcasting. 
Two, because things are going well right now. Three, because socioeconomically, I'm chill right now. Like, but when you start talking Jesus and all of that begins to dwindle because of that, then all of a sudden, what he's done for you in Christ becomes more of a big deal. I'm coming to a close. The past of every believer, the past of every believer, he went from the privileges Looked at the purpose, so we'll run our mouths, proclaim the excellence of he's who called us out of darkness. That's what conversion is. See yourself as you used to be dark, you used to be in darkness, now you're in light, his light, marvelous light. It's a big deal. I hope you're catching that Peter wants you to understand that this is a bigger deal than most people know, especially the people who are treating you like you're nothing special. He says, but remember your past so that you'll be fueled with an appreciation for this present specialness this present privilege he says you i lost my place oh yeah he says here once you were not a people but now you are god's people once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy basically he does he, he sends back and if anybody knew the story of hosea they knew that god told hosea i want you to go i want you to get a prostitute and i want you to have kids by her and then when you get a prostitute that's going to be like me and israel and i want you to when y'all have kids name your first kid no no i got a good name lord you know what i'm saying it's real cute and like wait 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 i'm gonna tell you what to name your kids name the first one no mercy no mercy oh man like dang i has a list of names and you know what i'm saying and, and name the second one not my people. Like, that's crazy. Going to school. What's your name? I don't even want to get into it. No mercy. No mercy. What's your brother's name, man? Your sister. That's not my people. <laughs> God says, I just want to broadcast that I'm through. Then in chapter 2, he said, but there's a people I'm going to say, you weren't a people, but now you're my people. And there's going to people I'm going to say, you didn't have mercy, but now you have mercy. Guess who he was talking about? He said, Peter said, you, the ones getting laughed at at work, you, the ones getting left out of the family reunions, you were once not a people, but now you're his people. That's the past of every believer. The predicament of every believer is your call to still live all this out in a world that you're excluded from. And that's why he says in verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. We got to remember we really don't belong here. It's one of the things that Pastor E was trying to say is you can't expect either immature believers or unbelievers to give full stage to what is strange to them. We really are the exiles. We really are the sojourners. We really are on the outs. Like God doesn't want you to get mad about that status. He doesn't say change it. They couldn't change that. This is not what we do. We don't demand, come on, you've got to do it like the believers would do it. No, he says you, corporate, that's why it's corporate. So it's not just one believer doing it. 
Corporately, you believers do it like I do it as exiles. Not change your status. That's not what the text is implying. The text assumes you can't change your status. Man, I just, nah, man, because we need to be running the radios. Well, the, oftentimes you won't be running the radio. And the Bible doesn't say raise Cain to run the radio station. It says do what you do as someone who's not allowed to run the radio station. Well, if this, if we were still a Christian nation, you're not. And don't try to force this to be. As people who are not running things from a Christocentric perspective, you be Christocentric. Man, if, I, if, if Jesus was running this school, he's not. But you're there. And as his royal priest and part of his royal priesthood, you live. Like he would live under, but as the outsider, you know what you do when you're an outsider, you, excuse me, uh, can I just make a suggestion instead of, hey, you ought to be. In other words, we, our attack with culture acts like we assume we're not the in crowd. And it changes the way we make demands on them and the way we try to impose what is true in our community on them. No, we ask them for permission to floss our difference in their view. This is what Daniel did when he went to the keys. I mean, the, 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 the guard and said, yo, I'm not I'm not telling you, yo, I don't eat pork. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you I don't eat pork. No, nah, I'm being faithful. No, nah, he said, permit us. To not eat what they eat. And, but, but test us. Then come and peep the results. That's all I'm asking. See, his, his approach was based on knowing I'm the servant or the exile. Daniel was the exile in Babylon. And I'm just coming to you saying, God's got a way of doing things that we won't impose on you all. But there's a group of us that do it this way. I want to show you the impact of us doing it God's way in your midst. That's what we do. He says, I want to urge you now as exiles and sojourners. Not as people who are throwing a coup. And then he says, abstain from the passions. Like Daniel, abstain from the passions which wage war against your flesh. Excuse me, which wage war against your soul. Passions of the flesh. There's all kinds of stuff that make demands on us. He says, yo, remember, holy people need to live holy lives. So he says, I just want to say, in light of God lacing you with so much for the purpose of talking about him so much, make sure that your life is on point and do it in full view of them. He says, there's some stuff you need to stay away from, and then there's some stuff you need to get involved in. So holiness has both a what we don't do as well as a what we do. Holy is not one uh, one of the others, both in. Stay away from stuff that messes with your ability to operate like the next thing says. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. It says, do this because God is missional. When they speak evil against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. As we close, you think about this. Peter's talking to believers. He says, I know you're special because you're elect. I know you're special because God wants you to be his priesthood. 
I know you're special because God viewed, he, he made you part of a stock that he's particularly invested in. It's his own lineage. Its worth comes from the fact that he's the stud. He's the dead. I know you're special. So you should go and penetrate these circles. And you know that you draw your comfort from knowing that it's a big deal to be a believer. It's a big deal. And the big deal is that you've been privileged to be chosen. You've been privileged to be special to him, to be priests, to be set apart, to grow to be a huge people that God can use to talk a lot about him, proclaim his excellencies. And as you do that, have a life to match. Have a life to match. Some things you need to cut back on and abstain from because it just causes an internal struggle that hinders you from keeping your conduct when you penetrate those circles. Isn't the scripture so beautiful the way he puts it together and the way he shows you the interconnectedness? And this is going to continue. Let's pray. Father, perhaps there's someone in here who's not a believer and they don't know they're not a believer because they think a believer is someone who believes something. But for you, a believer is someone who believes that they're sinful and separated from you, destined to go to hell without you. They believe what the scripture says, that the Lord Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. You called him your choice stone. You called him a cornerstone. The stone that every other thing must be properly aligned to. The Lord Jesus said, you'll die in your sins if you don't believe that I am who I say I am. And I am the one the Father sent. Father, may someone in here say, I want to believe in Jesus today. I want to believe in Jesus. I want him to be my solid rock, my foundation. I want him to be the one that I'm risking everything about me on. Please, Lord, do it for the sake of your own glory. And that there will be more to proclaim the excellencies of you who take us from darkness and place us into light. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.